Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the uncensored version of the Veritas 7 podcast, the true crime podcast that's dedicated to examining the intricate and graphic details of the most unimaginable cases through the lens of our amazing panel of experienced investigators. Led by host, Kurt Dillon. This extraordinary team of super sleuths acquires all of its facts through Freedom of Information Act requests to the actual investigating agencies supervising the cases. Together with occasional guests and experts, the team delves deep into some of the most unorthodox, bizarre, and so far, unsolvable cases from all over the world. What's more, by tuning into this particular podcast, you actually have the opportunity to assist the team as they endeavor to unlock the secrets that have so far eluded some of the world's finest investigators. This is the Veritas 7 Uncensored Podcast. And without further delay, here's your host, Kurt Dillon. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me tonight, your host, Kurt Dillon, for this, another exciting episode of the Veritas 7 Uncensored Podcast. Tonight, we are going to get into one of the deepest cases that we've handled since we started this show, and that is the horrible, the horrific yogurt shop murders of Austin, Texas in 1991. Obviously, we've covered this case in a lot of our other shows from different angles, but nothing can prepare you. As I always say, you know, we can never put enough coverage on this case. Four beautiful young girls ranging in age from 13 to 17 years old, all viciously attacked, raped, beaten, murdered, gangster style, gunshots to the back of the head, and then as if that wasn't enough, their bodies were set on fire. Just a really horrific type of thing. I have some very definite views that I've established after looking at all the evidence on this case, and I absolutely want to make sure that I express those in this episode. So don't go anywhere and stand by because Veritas means truth and the uncensored truth starts now. I can't believe the price of dog food is getting outrageous. And if I want to save a few bucks, I have to carry a 50 pound bag of kibble up the stairs into my apartment. There has to be a better way. There is. I'm so glad you said something. You poor thing, we've been using TummyTimePetSupplies.com for over a year now. Tummy Time Pet Supplies? What's that? TummyTimePetSupplies.com. They have all the major brands and most smaller brands as well. In fact, we not only get all of our dog and cat supplies there, but they also have everything we need for Brett's chinchilla, Ashley's ferrets, Haley's iguana, and even Jordan's pet tarantula. Wow, they sell all that? And more. But what's best about TummyTimePetSupplies.com is that they ship everything through Amazon Fulfillment. That means that everything you order gets delivered right to your door, and if you're an Amazon Prime customer, shipping is almost always free. That really sounds incredible, but I bet it's super expensive. Mark just got laid off and I can't afford all those special conveniences for a while. Nonsense. In fact, Tummy Time offers some of the most reasonable prices anywhere. You really have to be a whiz and coupon shopping to beat their everyday prices, and when they run sales, forget about it. I can't believe it, an incredible selection, great prices, and right to your door service. So what do you think? I think the next time I buy anything for my pets, I'm going to TummyTimePetSupplies.com. I think that's a very wise choice. Me too. That's right. For all your pet needs, it's TummyTimePetSupplies.com. Remember TummyTimePetSupplies.com.
can never spend enough time on this case. I'm really, I'm fascinated by this case. I'm perplexed by this case. I'm disgusted by this. This case is really perplexing. It's, it's mind boggling how this all went off. Just to give the overview, you know, back on December the 6th of 1991, two girls that worked in this, I can't believe it's yogurt strip mall, uh, retail yogurt shop. were getting ready to close up. Two of their friends, well, one of their sisters and her friend came over and asked for a ride. And somewhere between when they closed up at 11 o'clock and midnight, when a passing by police officer noticed smoke coming out of the strip mall, these girls were bound and gagged with their own clothes. Each one of them was raped. They were all shot in the back of the head. And then, as if that wasn't enough, they were all set on fire and, and burned there in the back of the store. So really crazy um, what's, what, what went on in this case. Um, and, and that was r really nuts. So we'll, we'll get right into it. Uh, April, go ahead. What do you got? Okay. Well, I mean, although it may be intriguing to some, I just find it extremely stupid. Um, so I don't know if you heard about the speculation surrounding the murder and how it was linked to some satanic ritual, how they found, uh, I guess, occult symbols at the crime scene. I don't know if y'all heard about that, but I was reading about that. I just thought it was stupid. No, I didn't read. I didn't hear, but I didn't see that anywhere. Yeah. Huh. I was yeah reading that. Find? What is this? Yeah. I'll show you. Let, let, yeah, let me show you. Okay, hold on. Go ahead, Matt. What do you got going on? For me, this case is a travesty. Four girls lost their life, you know, in, in the most tragic way we could ever imagine, right? And, and the police department, in my opinion, completely botched this case. Agreed. We had people in the yogurt shop that are probably prime suspects. They had drinks. They had sodas. They were at a table. And we don't have any uh, of the cups or the fingerprints or anything from them being there. And it was clear they were there. And right. the police department just has nothing from it. And it, and that tells the story of who was in there and, and, and what they did. And they, they have nothing. It's, it's just sad. Absolutely. Absolutely. Go ahead, Jennifer. Let's not forget that piece of crap that works next door, right, Kurt? <laughs> right, absolutely. <laughs> well, now we're going to get into that. I don't know any of your backgrounds, but I know when I was a teenage kid and I was I worked in those strip malls, all right, especially I worked in them in the 80s because I was born in 71. So it was in the 80s when I worked there. But if you see the photos that we have on the website uh, and what we have on the YouTube page regarding this case, this was an old strip mall. Like this strip mall was built in the fifties sometime. So it was, it was old already in 1991 when this happened, those walls folks, they're made out of shit. You can hear the cockroaches fart. That's how thin those walls are. All right. So there is no way when I was reading through all this material, nobody in any of the reports mentioned until I got to the end, it's like an after note that the party store that was next door to, I can't believe it's yogurt. The manager of that store was there the whole time this was going on. And he reported to the cops when the cops and the fire department got there on the scene, he told them he heard a, a pop, pop, pop. Listen, I'm, I am so convinced that he's in on it. It's not even funny. And I'll tell you why there is no way with those walls that thin, between a yogurt shop and a party store, there is no way that he did not hear 
four teenage girls getting bound, gagged, tied up, raped, each one of them, each one of them shot in the head, and then all of them set on fire. There is no way all he heard was a muffled pop, pop, pop. He is the least nosy person on the planet. I'm sorry, but there are so many people that will call for the dumbest stuff to 911. And this definitely would have been something that somebody would have called on. And, and you know, I can't they believe told, he didn't. And, you know, they speculated. If you look at all the speculation and the rumors about this case, they thought that the four guys, two guys were ultimately convicted of this and they did 10 years in prison. And before their, their sentences got overturned. And the ironic thing is their sentences got overturned on a technicality. But then while they were awaiting second trial, DNA evidence came back and exonerated them. So even though it doesn't exactly exonerate them from being there, it exonerates them from being the, from being rape, the rapists. So that gave rise to the defense attorneys that were defending them and what they call the theory of the five, which is if you're going to claim that these two guys are absolutely guilty and that the third guy that never got charged, but you're convinced he's guilty too. If you're convinced that all three of these guys are guilty and they're in on this crime and you have two DNA samples that are there on these girls' bodies and they don't match any of those three guys, then there had to be at least five guys in that yogurt shop that was doing all of this to these girls. And they're absolutely right. There would, there would have to be five guys in there if the prosecution's accusation holds true if those three guys were in there and there were two other guys that contributed to dna not any of the three you got to have five perps right diane it's possible and it also seems like i've been thinking about this and what happened to these girls and it seems again like the theory of the case what actually happened Factually, what did these guys do? And to think about two people doing what they did, it's it's hard for me to fathom how they were able to accomplish all this if it was just two people without these girls screaming or running away or perhaps fighting back or throwing a chair. And I understand they both likely had pulled the gun if there were two of them, but something doesn't ring true to me that there were only two people involved here. It seems like there were more than two to overwhelm these four girls this way and to do it as quickly as they must have done it. Because like I was saying, there wasn't, no one's hearing a lot of screaming. No one's hearing them trying to get out of the shop or running away. So it just seems like they got subdued very quickly. Agreed. And you know, the, the case has been made not only in the in the records and the official statements and all that other the official theories and, and and hypotheses of what happened, but even in our own teaser episode on this case, and as well as in our gifted insights episode on this case, where Gina Nissanoff taps in to the paranormal and gets a feel and a read on on this case. So you definitely don't want to miss that gifted insights episode on this yogurt shop murders also. But the thing about this. That, like you just said, that intrigues me is I don't see any scenario where four teenage girls, especially after the first one got shot in the head. If there's only two guys, you're not shooting all four of them in the head at the same time. So there had to be an order of execution. There is no way that four teenage girls are going to remain quiet while 
their friends and family members, because two of them were sisters, get brutally executed, you know, mafia style with a shot in the back of the head. And there were actually five shots from two different guns. There were, it was confirmed that there was a 22 and a 380 were both used. Again, going back to the scumbag in the party store next door, I might be able to believe that a certain, like if it was like a Ruger 22 or a really little one, like a, like a midnight special that got shot inside the close confines of a retail store like that, it might have sounded like a firecracker, although I, I, it's going to sound louder in a, in a bad place, in a place with bad acoustics like that, uh, especially with a concrete floor, which all of those strip malls have concrete slabs on the floor. So the 22 is going to be loud enough, but I'm here to tell you, when that 380 went off in there, there is no way that guy heard a pop. That guy must have thought that the world was ending. Because that's that a 380 in the best of circumstances outside, outdoors in the middle of nowhere, makes a deafening retort when it goes off. In a closed, confined space like that, it's going to make the windows rattle. That's the yeah. percussion on that gun is ridiculous. Yeah, he had to have heard it. There's no way he did not hear that. Exactly. There's no no way you can convince me that that guy didn't hear that. And if there was, and from what we understand, I think there were three of the shots were shot with the 380, and the other two were shot with the 22. The the youngest girl, the 13 year old Amy, was the only victim that had to get shot twice. The first bullet to the back of the head missed and actually went through the side of her head and out her cheek without damaging any part of her brain. So she had to be shot twice. And she was shot once with each gun. One of her shots was with the 22, and the other one was with the 380. So really, really weird. But again, there's no way in my mind I will ever be convinced that that guy was next door the whole time and didn't hear that going on. And we're not even talking about the rape yet, and we're not talking about setting the fire, and we're not talking about... Not only that, but if you got three, four, five guys in here that are perpetrating these crimes on these girls... The guys are making noise. You know, everything is off. It's late at night. Everything is shut down. Every, all the places are closed. So there's no loud music playing in there anymore or any of this other kind of stuff. So this, I mean, it's crazy. Ellie, what, go ahead. What do you got to say? Well, when you were um, talking about um, the rape and we were talking about the DNA evidence, I remember on the teaser episode, we had kind of briefly discussed the fact that maybe one of the girls were possibly sexually active with like maybe a boyfriend or something but i guess can you refresh my memory on some of the dna did they find uh dna on the girls was the dna inside the girls and if so did they already rule out that there was a boyfriend or anything like, i feel like there's just this this very vague part of the case that is so important and yet i i feel like i need to know more of that information Okay, so now as far as the DNA on the girls, the, the DNA was found on their clothing. They were bound and gagged with their own, they were gagged with their own panties. They were bound with their clothes, but in each case, their, their panties was what was used as the gag for their, for their mouths. So each one of them was gagged with their own underwear. And what happened, the, the, their DNA was, uh, DNA, male DNA was found on the underwear and also inside two of the girls. Not inside all four of them, although they know all four of them were raped. DNA was only recovered inside two of them. However, now the theory, this is from the defense team, who's obviously their only job is to get their two clients exonerated by any means possible. So their theory 
aside from the theory of the five, their theory is because Eliza, who was the shift supervisor for the store, she was her and the other girl were 17. Eliza is the one that had the keys and she was charged with securing the money, locking the store up and all that other kind of stuff. Because Eliza had a boyfriend and she was sexually active with the boyfriend, they know that that was that that's true. The defense posited a theory that it's possible that Eliza had sex with her boyfriend before she came to work that night. And when she was raped by one of these guys, he inadvertently tracked the, D- the DNA of Eliza's boyfriend out of her and spread it to the other girls as he went raping from girl to girl. So they estimate that that's where some of the, the DNA transfer could have happened. So not necessarily that there was a second they were trying to argue that there might not necessarily be, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I said that that was the defense team. It's not. This was actually the prosecution's argument. The prosecution's argument that there wasn't necessarily two guys that contributed to the DNA. It might have only been one, and he might have spread it by cross-contamination, by you know spreading it from one girl to the other after intercourse, if the DNA sample was already present. They were trying to dismiss the theory of the five, and they were trying to dismiss that all of these extra extraneous people had to be present in the crime scene because their original accusation was against these four young men, two of which got convicted. That's the guy Springsteen and the guy whose last name is Scott. Um, they got convicted. They did 10 years in prison until they were, it was overturned on a technicality, a constitutional technicality, and they were exonerated through DNA while they were waiting for their second trials. So really, really, you know, crazy. Um, yeah, I, I, believe it or not, I I looked in all the evidence. I'm sure somebody checked the DNA's the, the boyfriend's DNA. I can't imagine that they didn't, but there's no record of it anywhere. I, I if you could find it, God bless. If any of our listeners out there can find it, God bless. But I cannot find anything in writing that says, yes, absolutely, Eliza's boyfriend's DNA was tested and was shown to not be a match to the DNA inside them or was shown to be a match inside the girls. Nothing. Only that, only the theory that it might have been his DNA from the prosecution. That's it. So excellent question uh, from, from our readers. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I, don't, uh, I, I don't have an answer. I wish I did. I, I just I can't imagine the cops made a lot of mistakes in this case. Don't get me wrong. They made a lot of mistakes in the investigation here. They should all be prosecuted if they didn't do that. I mean, if you overlook such an obvious avenue of investigation, you really got no business being a cop. Matt, what do you got to say? Well, now that you mentioned that, wasn't this one of the cases where the investigator got charged for false confessions he didn't get he he got charged for uh yeah for for basically um eliciting false for coercing through force and through threats of violence uh false confessions there were over 500 confessions in this case and all of them turned out to be false and now in his defense he wasn't the investigator that questioned all of those people. So you had people coming out of the woodwork on this case claiming that they did it when they didn't do it. So really crazy scenario that that many people 
confessed to murders and, and heinous crimes that they didn't commit, but there were over 500 confessions. Diane? Well, this ties into why this case got overturned, why these two guys were convicted and why it got overturned. And I understand why you call it a technicality, but I would argue that it's not a technicality where here you have co-defendants going to trial together. And when the prosecution is trying to introduce one of the defendants or both of the defendants confessions in the trial, the jury is going to hear that at least one of the guys confessed. And they're gonna hold it against not only that defendant, but they're gonna hold it against the other defendant who's sitting there because they obviously knew each other. There's evidence that they were together. And when you have one guy confessing and coming in as evidence, it's almost impossible, no matter what kind of limiting instruction you give for that jury not to hold it against the other defendant. And the problem is if these defendants don't take the stand and testify, which they have every constitutional right not to take the stand and testify, then this confession has come in against a likely implicating a co-defendant and they don't have the opportunity to you know, cross-examine what the basis was for that confession, particularly in a case like this, where you have, even if it wasn't the same cop who was eliciting false confessions, that could have been endemic to this police department where they were just leaning on people and threatening them. And who knows if these confessions were even valid. And so what should have happened in this case is these guys should have been tried separately. And when the prosecution knows that they're going to be introducing a confession at trial, you have to sever those cases and you have to. So it would be admissible against the one defendant, but it's not admissible against the co-defendant. Does that make sense? It does. Just so you know, they were tried separately. They were, as a matter of fact, they were tried almost a year apart. But what happened was they introduced snippets of each one's confession into the other one's trial. And obviously that violated confrontation clause because they couldn't cross-examine, like you said, or impeach the credibility of the snippets that were used. So that was ultimately what it was turned back on. But yeah, other than that, you were dead on with everything. But yeah, they were tried separately. And in this case, you cannot call the co-defendant as a witness because that's something that you can do is try to subpoena somebody and have them testify if you want to, if you want to try to impeach them. But here you can't because this is a defendant. You can't force a defendant, even a co-defendant to take the stand when they've been charged as well. So even if their trials were separate, like you were saying, it's still, you still cannot bring in a co-defendant's confession against another defendant. Absolutely. Unwillingly, unless the guy was offered a plea to flip on the other one and he agreed to testify in exchange for a lighter sentence. So, right. Yeah, and that right, happens. Absolutely. Right. That happens all the time. But they're actually right. there in court. And right. yes. And yeah, absolutely. then, and this, but then and typically, then typically you're not bringing in that prior confession that usually wouldn't even come in as evidence. You've just got the guy on the stand testifying right. and then he gets yeah. cross examined. Exactly right. Yeah. Dead on. Perfect. Excellent. Excellent evaluation there. Yeah, that's and that's pretty much what happened. And it's even sadder that it took 10 years for the Supreme Court of Texas to overturn that conviction and bring them back for new trials. They did 10 years in prison before they got sent back down. I know that's outrageous when it takes cases that long when someone's sitting in prison and these appeals can go on. Like you're saying, they can go on for 10 years. And when at the end of the day, it ends up getting 
overturned, you're like, wow, but what about all those years? It's There are so many cases in the criminal justice system and so many go on appeal. It's sad, the huge time delay. Especially of, when you have such a clear cut constitutional issue like that. I mean, that's you one know, of the guys was ahead, one of the guys was on death row too. It wasn't like he was, you know, planting flowers in a flower box. He was on death row waiting for this. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, this, Texas, it was no Texas joke. is known for expediting that. Yeah, uh, well, that's what favorite comedian Ron White likes to say. <laughs> Texas has the death penalty, and we use it. There's another case that I was researching that involved the guy on death row in Texas, and he was executed. And then after the fact, his family wanted to get some of the DNA re-examined or examined for the first time. And the state was fighting it and saying, no, no, no. And it ended up that the court was like, well, sorry, he is already dead. We're not going to order it. (laughs) And it was like, are you kidding me? And so it... It is a problem where the appeals go slower than the death penalty. A lot of the states now are phasing out the death penalty and they're going, but it's still out there, but there's a lot of them that are phasing it down. And you're seeing a lot more and more, like the last one that just got executed in Florida, um, like last month or whatever, he'd been on death row since the 70s. So they definitely took their time with that one. But then you have other ones that get fast-tracked, like Timothy McVeigh. Um, but he did that to himself. Uh, you know, he he pled guilty and he told him he didn't want to appeal. He told him he didn't want anything. He just wanted to get over with. He confessed to everything. He got. He said, I should get the death penalty. I, he took it. He wore it. He was like, I don't want to drag on. I don't want to sit in prison for 20 or 30 years while these appeals go on. Just end it. Give me the needle. And, and he did. And his whole, um, you know, his from from arrest to execution was, I think, 10 years, 11 years. And, and, and I believe, first- I believe that was a federal case. So there are not many federal death penalty cases. If that was right. in fact a federal death penalty, which I believe yes, it was. was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, he was, it was, that was, there was definitely a federal death penalty. And in exchange for his testimony at uh, McVeigh's trial, um, Nichols, the guy, his, his co-defendant in that case, uh, agreed to, to flip on McVeigh in exchange for life without, so he got life without, he's also, and that's also federal, but he, Nichols also had state crimes too. So he's, he's doing a mix of both, but McVeigh, yeah, McVeigh was absolutely federal and it was absolutely, uh, you know, he was absolutely executed uh, by the feds there in, uh, in Colorado. This case really, you know, I think about these girls and I think about what had to happen and I think about all the people that were in that place and Matt, go ahead. What do you got? I didn't want to skew the topic from what Diane was saying because, wow, it's, it's huge. But I really think we – this neighbor with the party shop, man, we, we, we've we got to get this guy in a room because just like you said with the gunshots, I, I know there was at least five gunshots, right? Exactly, yeah. There were five. Absolutely, he heard them. And then, and then you have a fire. You're going to smell the smoke. He didn't even report the fire. Somebody driving down the street, a cop driving down the street sees it. And then third, I just have a hard time feeling the yogurt shop's going to have something flammable in the back. He had it. We need to get this guy in a room and three or four of his best friends, and we got to wear him out. Yeah. absolutely right with this guy. This guy's a shitbag. On on so many levels, this never should have happened. Even if he wasn't involved, he should have intervened in in some way. Absolutely. 
I mean, we, we got to figure out who this guy was, and 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 he's got to get in a room. Absolutely. Danny, what do you have to say weigh in on this? I was just thinking about what Matt was talking about. I was kind of trying to find more information on him because that's very, very sketchy to me that he didn't hear, or he claims he only heard pops. He didn't hear actual gunshots, and he didn't smell the fire or anything, but that just seems like it should have been a bigger red flag. Absolutely. And not only that, like this wasn't a little, you know, they make it sound when you read the reports, like this was a smoldering little kind of like when you see the front of the store, the front of the store is completely unaffected. So it looks like the fire was so minor that it was no big deal. But when you look at the photos that we got that are on our website pertaining to this case, when you look at that shelf of the cleaning supplies and how badly it's melted. When you look at how badly melted the phone is that was hanging on the wall, because, you know, back in 1991, they still had corded phones. Uh, you know, cell phones were, were in their infancy back then. If you had a cell phone, it looked like a brick. So, you you know, there was none of that sticking in, in your pocket shit. You had, you had that thing that was like another appendage on your body if you had a cell phone. So, um, you know, the phone is melted like beyond recognition. Even though the fire wasn't big, it was hot as shit because it melted. The damage that it did in that confined space was ridiculous. So while there wasn't a lot of smoke going out into the front of the store and there wasn't a lot of smoke escaping, I can guarantee you through that wall and through the drop ceiling in these in these stores, that party store next door was probably smoked the fuck out. Because right. those yeah, I don't agree. do anything to hold smoke. Go ahead, Jennifer. Well, um, I don't remember if we did talk about this, like what um, if there was an accelerant used. I know that we had discussed the chemicals possibly being the accelerant, but was there ever a test done? It was it, it was inconclusive. They couldn't identify what did it. It wasn't like it wasn't gasoline. It wasn't kerosene. So that it wasn't lighter fluid. It wasn't any of the traditional uh, tools of an arsonist. That fire burned so hot. Not only did it melt away all the plastic in that little room, but it like completely got rid of any type of evidence that would have identified it. Is basically what I'm understanding. Well, I mean, it, uh, it didn't. They didn't incinerate all the girls. Um, you know, there was there was still plenty. Of, they got DNA off the girls and whatever. So even though that's another point of contention in this. Originally, when the investigation started, the fire marshal that came in and did the initial investigation, the arson investigation, declared that that shelf that we have the photo of on the website, that shelf was the point of origin of the fire. Later on, when they got Scott to confess, the one of the guys that ended up getting confessed and doing 10 years in prison. When they got him to confess, he claimed that he poured those chemicals on the bodies and that the girls themselves were the point of origin. Well, that didn't jibe with the original fire marshal's report. So lo and behold, what did they do? They brought in another fire marshal after the fact who just looked at the paperwork. Now, this is five years after this happened. So, I mean, the store is already, it's already another, it's a nail salon now and it's reopened and, and whatever. So they're not going in there. This fire marshal is not going in there and doing any kind of investigation. He's just looking at the paperwork. 
and the photos, and he changes the original arson report to claim that the girls are the point of origin. After the fact, but only after Scott confesses that the girls were the point of origin, that he dumped all the cleaning supplies on the girls and set them on fire. But again, like I said, they did test, but they couldn't confirm what it was. The only thing they know is that it wasn't any of the traditional, uh, you know, it wasn't gas, it wasn't kerosene, it wasn't diesel, it wasn't lighter fluid. All the common things that arsonists use that are readily available to anybody to start fires, it wasn't any of those things. Go ahead, Matt. What is in a what is inside of a yogurt shop that's flammable? I mean, Lysol's not flammable, bleach isn't flammable. What could it have been? That was well, my contention last time. Last, the, last this, show. this guy next door had some shit in his store that was flammable. And while this was going on, he ran next door and got something that would ignite a fire and put it on the girls. Right. And that's and that's possible. When we did uh, when we did the gifted insights episode, as Jen will remember, uh, Gina actually brought up a good point that a lot of times when you when the fire burns hot enough, when you get a fire hot enough, things that aren't listed as flammable become flammable. Um, so they if they have a flashpoint, it could be a high flashpoint, but if they have a flashpoint, which most chemicals do that aren't water-based, if it's an oil-based cleaning solvent or whatever, which an, an ice cream, you know, a yogurt shop might have an oil-based cleaning solvent, you have that. Also, um, somebody, one of our one of our guests had asked during that episode uh, in a chat, were there cans of whipped cream in there? And that was an excellent question, too, because whipped cream is in a can, it's aerosolized, so it's under pressure. So not only is it flammable in that state, but it's also explosive. If you puncture one of those cans, it's going to go boom. So, it, I mean, it's possible that you could even use aerosolized whipped cream as an accelerant under certain circumstances. Hairspray is, and if there's how, however many four girls in there, there's got to be a can of hairspray somewhere in that joint. Aquanet True. Super Hole, baby. Hey, this is 1991. 1991 is the height of Aquanet. Absolutely. Hey, that you're that talking to the can. girl who who uh, who had the cockatoo. I had the hairstyle. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I didn't I didn't date a girl that didn't have the cockatoo back in those days. I, I'm telling you, I had and not only that, you you weren't going to a concert in the 80s and the early 90s without bringing a can of Aquanet and setting that shit on fire when they when they were playing the right song on the song. Yes. The <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> We used it differently. We used to make potato guns out of PVC pipe and use Absolutely. for the fuel. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You never lived until you kicked off a fucking potato gun, boy. Let me but, tell you, you could do some damage gonna, to one of those bastards. But that's going to take some time. If I'm the guy that broke in to rape, murder, and kill these girls and set them on fire, you know, I'm going to have to search for hairspray. Whoever this is either brought it with them and they're sitting there at the table waiting for the store to close with their bottle of lighter fluid or he had a next door in his store or in his truck outside. I I, it's, it's all possible. It's all possible. Somebody that, that we, you know, we talked about, they could have opened up the back door and they could have smuggled in whatever it is when, I, when the girls weren't looking. Diane, what do you have to say? Well, I just have a basic question for everybody, which is what do you think really happened here? Or what do you think, the culprit's motivation was when they first entered that yogurt store, do you think they really intended to rape and murder all these girls and then set fire? Or do you think maybe they came in and they were planning to rob the place and then a couple of the guys went rogue and started 
raping the girls and then it just got out of control and then like wait a minute now we got we got to shoot these girls and then then they decide to set fire like i'm just wondering did they really plan to go in and commit all this mayhem when they went in or did it develop i'm curious what you guys think go ahead jennifer you started off I'll, i have my theory too but I'll, I'll weigh in later my opinion is that um it was the girl rejected somebody. They got pissed off, whether it was the neighboring store manager or one of the guys that were sitting at the table, like the guy. I, I don't know why, but my my finger is on the guy in the army coat. The guy in the army coat really rubs me the wrong way. And I really believe that he had a bone to pick with um, with one of them. And I just think, I actually think it was targeted on one person and that the other were just uh, collateral damage and just got in the way. And then it got all out of hand because, you know, oh, that's that wasn't good enough. You know, taking taking something from her was not good enough. Now they're going to go further and, and take her life. So I just think it started off as one thing and spiraled out of control. Good assessment as any. Matt, what do you got? I agree with Jennifer, you know, motive here is something we really have to consider. And uh, I wish Paige was here because she's the motive expert, but uh, I don't know that it was a situation like Jennifer described, because if there was one girl there that had upset me and I wanted to get even with her, I think I would have tried to catch her by herself, you know, not with all their friends. I really think that this was somebody that was close by, possibly the store manager next door, who knew the routine. He knew what girls would be there. He knew when they would be there. He knew their routine. He knew how to get in and out. He knew everything about these girls. And, and, and he was right there. He had everything accessible to him. And he got drunk one night and told his buddies about this opportunity next to his store. And they all chimed in. And next thing you know, what happened? Well, not only that, he had another. If, if that's true, and I, I lean pretty much exactly to what you were saying, if that's true, he could have rigged it up so that the back doors to both stores were open. So he could have gone back and forth from one store to the other completely, you know, unhampered and without worry of anybody seeing him or whatever. Because the back of the, you know, the back of those strip malls is like a dark alley. So he could have gone from back door to back door, in and out from store to store, basically at will without worry about being seen from any front, you know, from the front of the store, everybody would have thought that the place was closed and, and, and him and his buddies were going back and forth from store to store, uh, you know, just completely unimpeded. So I, you have that too. Um, the only thing that really gets me with this, th there had to be planning in this. I wanted to say originally when I saw this, that this was like a crime of opportunity. Like you suggested that it might be that they were there and he just wanted to, uh, but all of this happened in such a short period of time. I believe there was an element of panic. I believe the fire was not planned. I believe it was panic is what set the fire off. They were like, you know, the girls are dead. But what if we touch something? What if we, I, I don't think this was really intelligent people that committed this crime, however many there were. And I thought that they, they just assumed in the heat of the moment, in a panic to get the hell out of there, they just decided the best way to cover up anything we might've forgotten is to burn this shit to the ground. And obviously they didn't do a very good job of starting a fire because that's just not how you do it. 
Uh, you know what I mean? In one little isolated spot like that at, at 11 o'clock at night on a busy road to, you know, if you're in a secluded spot, you could do that. But in a strip mall like that, somebody's going to notice smoke before they, you know, the place is burning to the ground. So you really don't have a real good, it was a very unsophisticated uh, kind of crime is what I'm getting at. April, what do you got? Well, I just find it intriguing, something that Gina had suggested, um, that maybe an ex-employee had resentment towards maybe the owner or the girls, and maybe he just became enraged and directed his anger towards the girls. And, and that's very possible. I, I had the, the theory, and of, of, this is just a theory because there's no basis in fact to support it, but what if, what if the owner of the, the yogurt shop and the manager of the party store are really good friends. And what if they decided together they were going to do this? And it was only a bonus that the two extra, because those, those two extra girls weren't supposed to be there. So that was the spur of the moment. If this was planned by anybody, you know, only Eliza and Jennifer were the two that were supposed to be there. Amy and the other girl they came to ask for a ride. So nobody was expecting them to be there. So if it was planned at all, whoever went in there was expecting there to be two girls and ended up with bonus material. There were four. Go ahead, Danny. What do you have? Yeah. So I just said that um, a lot of party shops back in the day doing research on this would use hydrogen gas versus helium because it was a lot cheaper. Um, and that hydrogen gas is flammable versus helium is not. So, right. you know, I'm not saying that he used it all the time, but it could have been something that he had on hand. And that would probably be kind of hard to find. Very true. Very true. I, I don't, uh, you know, I, it's, there's so much up in the air because you, you would, even in 1991, science was advanced enough. They should have been able to identify what the accelerant was. Yeah, they really got a rough shake on this one with uh, a lot of people failing them. Truly. I believe they, they could identify that it was some kind of liquid. So I don't think it was gaseous, but it, that I mean, that's an excellent, you know, why not? It, it, it could have been anything. But I, I do believe they narrowed it down. It was some kind of liquid that was used. They just never identified what it is. And I think that lends itself to the idea that it was something that's not traditionally flammable, but they managed to generate enough heat that it became that it, it hit its flashpoint and it, it caused a really hot, intense fire in a really small area which is what we got. Uh, you know what I mean? Where if, like, if you have, if you hose the place with gas or you hose the place with kerosene or whatever, like the whole thing would burn wherever the kerosene went, there would be fire. If we, when you're in a flashpoint kind of situation, that's not necessarily the case. Only the part of the chemical that got superheated would burn or would, would, you know, re react violently to the heat. Uh, and that's what you had. Right where the point of origin was, there was a ton of destruction, and then five feet away, it was like there was no fire at all. And it, you yep. know, it took it took a while for the fire department to get there. It wasn't like you know the cop called it in and the fire department was there in seconds. All of this happened within an hour, though. She locked yeah. the door at eleven, and it was before midnight when the police officer noticed that there was a fire. So right. this guy had to tie four girls up, rape however many, shoot however many line them up, drag this one here, do all that, and then start a fire within an hour. There's a lot going on there. Absolutely. And, that, and that's why I believe there was, there was, there had to be a bunch of people there. 
I don't believe this could be one or two people because you just can't control four teenage girls like that. I don't care if you have a gun. I don't care if you're holding the gun to the 13-year-old's head. As soon as the first one gets naked and gets raped, the other three are freaking the fuck out. I mean, that's just what it is. You're not going to lay there calm being a 15 or a 17-year-old girl watching somebody that you love or care about getting raped and shot in the back of the head, and you're just going to lay there quietly and take it. I, you're just not. Go ahead, Danny. Um, okay, so you tell me if you have a different uh, different information on this, but I read that um, whichever one the older sister was, that she left actually to go get the younger two girls. Is that what you have? I have that. She left to go get them and then came back to the store and that they all helped to close. No, I, I thought I, that the two girls came to the store. Yeah, all the, all the information Twitter. that I got was that the two girls, Jennifer and Eliza, were working and the other two girls showed up and asked for a ride. I, I don't I didn't see anything about Jennifer going to pick them up. So I, I would be real interested in seeing that. Uh, because it would be a little bit different that would open the door to the possibility of maybe Eliza having a confrontation with somebody while she was in the store by herself or somebody coming mm -hmm. in and forcing her. Yes. Yeah, see where you found this, Danny. This is uh, interesting. Yeah, that's this good stuff. There's a little twist here that we're not aware of, but can we, can we return to Eliza's boyfriend? Sure. <laughs> what evidence suggests that he's not the killer? I mean, I know that he was known to have sex with her, but I mean, can we not I, consider that that's a possibility? Well, what do we know about him? I don't I even mean, know I, his I name. I assume he's got an alibi. I mean, because they excluded because they they would have trusted him, right? I don't know. I'm just thinking. It's a very good point, and it ran through my mind. Like, was he on the DNA profile? Where was he? You know, were they having problems? There's, I have questions but, I mean, for him too. I mean, he's having sex with her. He's gonna obviously have DNA inside of her. So they would want to take some just to rule him out. Right. Well, not only that, but like I said, the prosecution in this case had a major hard-on for these four guys, for, for uh, Springsteen and for Scott and for the other two guys that they originally accused, the four of them that were arrested and brought in, and, and Scott and Springsteen were eventually charged, and the other two were let go. But the prosecution was 100% convinced that these four guys were the ones responsible for doing it. So for whatever reason, they excluded, you know, they had to at least talk to Eli's boyfriend. So he had to get excluded for some reason or another, although I'm not privy to what specific evidence they used to exclude him. I can't, I can't find anything on it. No, me either. Me I've been either. trying. They, they did a great job of keeping him out of the record because I couldn't even find his name. As, as Scott's or Springsteen's defense lawyer, if there was any chance whatsoever that Eliza's boyfriend was guilty, you better believe he would have brought it up in court and right. pointed a finger at Eliza's boyfriend. So there had to be some rock-solid evidence that Eliza's boyfriend wasn't involved. But whatever that is, we don't know, because intentionally, apparently, they kept his name and any mention of him out of the record. We've ran into this before, though. He very well, very, very well may could have been, you know, related to some public figure. That had some influence. I mean, uh, sure. any, any of that's possible. This is a good avenue, April. We got to dig into this guy. Oh, uh, definitely. I sent the link to where it says that they yep. Jennifer went to pick them up. Okay. I, I want to think that I. Uh, I want to think that I saw this article before, but I didn't remember picking up on that detail. The motive here seems to be the key to who killed them, and that's why it. It 
just case bothers me because if people were planning to just come in and rob the place or if they were planning to rape and murder these girls, you'd think that they would have put it on hold when two other girls unexpectedly showed up and say, wait a minute, we can't handle four people. We were only planning on killing two people. So there's just something so odd about this case. And I just feel like, I mean, my take on it is that it spiraled out of control and they maybe, when they first went in, were not planning on killing these girls. Maybe it was just a holdup and they thought, oh, okay, if they're four girls, we can hold up the place. And then somehow it just turned into something way, way worse than what they had originally planned. But that's it's just kind of what I'm thinking. And that yeah, would exclude the boyfriend because the boyfriend, his motive would be totally different. That would be personal. And I just feel like I wonder if this was a robbery that just escalated. Uh, Danny's on to something here. It says on Jennifer's break, she drove back to the mall to pick them up. I don't know how reliable this source is. Probably as reliable as any, but it definitely says that. Good catch, Danny. It is. Well, and in this in this article too, it also mentions Jennifer's boyfriend's name, which I've never saw anywhere. Before. Sammy Buchanan. I saw that too. Yep. And she'd already spent the afternoon with him. So, right. if this 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 was driven by some sort of sexual motive, he should have been relieved at that point. She already spent the afternoon with him. This doesn't scream I... sexual motive to me at all. It's too um um at, what's the word I'm looking for? It's too power hungry. It's too like you're 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 gonna pay kind of behavior, in my opinion. It's too violent. There we go. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's sexual in nature at all. Because you think about that movie Fargo where you have these two bad guys who are supposed to do something and one of them doesn't follow the movie. script. Yeah, he one of the guys doesn't follow the script. He's a psycho and he turns what's supposed to be more of just an ordinary fake kidnapping into this massive murder. Like multi multiple people end up getting murdered. And I know it's just a movie. Yes. But that's what something about that movie seems similar to what could have happened here where maybe there were multiple guys involved and they were just supposed to come in and do a robbery. And I just don't know that it was personal against any of these girls. Maybe it was against the owner of the shop, who knows? And then one of the guys or two of the guys just took it to a different level. I don't oh, know. Okay. Just to cut in and let you guys know, as I'm reading through this article, it's not a good article, and the reason why is because some of the things that they present as facts we know are not facts. That is, they, they claim in here that only one of the four girls was raped. That's not true. We know for an absolute fact all four of them were raped. So there's several things in here. They also say that the officer was responding to a 911 call about the fire. That's not true. He was going by, and he, I actually saw his statement. He was going by, and he saw the fire, and he's the one that called the fire department. So it, he was not responding to a 911 call. Do we know if the money was taken? What we know is that now their personal money was all taken, their purses and all that stuff. But the office door where the safe was and all of that was locked and it was remained locked when the uh, when the police went in there. And see, so and like if it. if it was a robbery, they would have gone in there. They wouldn't have, they would have not let a locked door stop them. Right. Unless they like really screwed up and oh shit we killed the girls let's hurry up and get the hell out of here just grab what's in their purse and let's go 
But if it was originally a robbery, it just doesn't make any sense that that door stayed solid. Or they got mad that these girls did not have access because why would a 17-year-old girl have access to a safe? Right. Who gives the kid the key to the kingdom? Nobody. So that's, what I'm, that's what I'm wondering, if these robbers thought they could get in because they weren't very, you know, they. I just, that strikes me as very unusual if girls that age or any teens that age, not that they're girls, but that any, an employee, just a regular employee would have access to the safe. I would think only the owner would or a manager. Hell, I've worked places where the employee. manager doesn't know if it's an ex-manager. I've I've worked right. places where even the manager doesn't have access. They're just there to, you get a slit at the top of the safe, you put the envelope in, and that is your extent of money handling. Right. So you guys might be onto something. Maybe that's part of the motive here is that they got super angry because they were not able to get what they wanted. I mean, it happens in bank robberies where bank robbers want to get into the safe and they can't. And because the people, you need two people to get in, same thing. They may have thought that they could get in and they couldn't. And then they got enraged. I, I thought about the robbery as a motive, but if I'm an experienced criminal to the point where I'm going to rob public places up to raping and killing people, I'm going to go somewhere besides a yogurt shop. I don't feel like there's going to be more than a couple hundred bucks there. Right. I don't know. I could be wrong. I'm not a criminal, but it just seems like that's some low-hanging fruit. It really is. I mean, especially if you're you're this bad of a person, these people did some horrible, horrible things to these girls. They're definitely bad, bad people. Not only that, you're not going to go to a yogurt shop in December. (laughs) It's not like it's July and it's 110 degrees outside and everybody's dying for something cold. We're a couple of weeks away from Christmas. So, I mean, even though it's yogurt shop and, you know, the ice cream is good any time of the year, there's not a line busting down the door to get in there and get yogurt on December 6th. I must confess, though, I've only had frozen yogurt once. <laughs> so I'm not the expert on that. It was super popular in 1991. Yes, it was. Yes, it oh, was. yeah, I remember. Yes, it was. And what was it? Do you remember, Diane? What was the does anybody remember? What was the name of that? Uh... Yeah, I know. It, it definitely it definitely stays warm there, Danny. I, I know. But it's just, I, you know. It, it's not like the people are busting down, you know, the, the door to get in there like it's sweltering outside. I just can't. I'm just right. alluding to what Matt said about there probably wasn't a ton of money in there, uh, you know, at 11 o'clock at night, especially when these girls came to work at eight. Maybe. Yeah, 7-Elevens no, <laughs> oh, are getting held up all the time. Oh, yeah. I don't know how much money they have in gas stations. I don't know how much money all these places have. So yeah. I don't know. No, I, I just don't know. Well, nowadays, I think they have a lot less because there's a lot more credit and debit card transactions than there ever were. It used to be back in the day, if you wanted, you know, $50 worth of gas, you you paid cash for it most of the time. Now, you know, most people filling up their truck, nobody walks around with that kind of cash anymore. So almost everything is debit or credit card. Were you going to say TCBY? Yogurt. That's what. Yes, that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah. That was it. the big one. That was the this country's best yogurt. That was the one that was like the big chain uh, that, that I remember that I used to go to all the time. Yes. Sorry. 
And I, matter of fact, I dated a girl that worked at TCBY and she used to close all the time. But like I was telling you before, Matt, when we were having this discussion at the teaser, I used to go and pick her up. I would never, she's closing the store at 11 o'clock at night and she's a young girl. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, there's no way I'm letting her go out to her car in a dark parking lot at 11 o'clock at night by herself. That's just not happening. Yeah. What day of the week was this? Friday. I believe it was a Friday. Friday. Okay. There might have been a couple of hundred bucks, but I, I can't imagine there being any more than that. And there's certainly got to be more targets that you could uh, that you could have identified. I don't know. The way I, I want to think that it wasn't sexually motivated and that they went there for some other reason. But I, I can't I, I just can't get away. You don't rape four girls accidentally because it's a whim. Yeah, that takes a little focus, especially in a rush. Well, and not only that, but especially if it's two guys, because I know this is the uncensored podcast. Let's let's get it. The rush is gone after the first time you climax. You know what I'm saying? So it's like these guys, if there's only two guys, they're repeatedly raping these girls. So you got you got to have some weird mojo thing going on to get, to go past the first or the second one. Makes sense. To, to keep raping and keep raping and keep. That's a lot of horny. A lot of horny. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? It's like. I, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that, that's your new nickname, by the way. A lot of horny. Yeah. Well, you know. It is what it is. But I, I mean, it's just, I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of, you know, this elevates the situation to a special breed of scumbag. That's a special breed of rapist. When, when you're one or two guys and you're each forcibly raping four girls at the same time, that puts you in another kind of category. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but they might not have, not to get too technical here, they might not have climaxed with each one. Maybe they were raping... Do you know what I mean? Well, they, they they might not have, but I mean, again, not to get not to get too technical, but after the first once, it's kind of hard to get it up after the after the third of the you know the second or the third time. Uh, they're saying these guys got some stamina. There's got there's something going on here, and they didn't have Viagra back then, so you know I don't know what these guys were doing. They could probably teach a class. <laughs> you know that that kind of stuff strikes me funny because I'm sitting there and I'm like, on under the best of circumstances, I, you know what I mean. Uh, very few occasions in my life have I wanted to have sex four times in a row. <laughs> just, just saying. Just, you know, just, just saying. I, I'm sorry. I need a ham and cheese sandwich first, honey. Oh my God! Well, what's your what's his new name? <laughs> I forgot it already. A lot it's of fun. horny. So, <laughs> so this 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 I guess this goes back to a profile here. Oh, do you think we're looking? I guess maybe Diane. Are we looking at a, a younger? set of guys that did this or maybe middle-aged because the what kurt's bringing up with the sexual stuff middle age is going to affect time frames and quantities and all that sort of stuff where younger guys they may not i was thinking when kurt was talking i was thinking it's probably younger guys it would i mean it would almost have to be it, it would almost have to be. It would have to be guys that aren't that much older than the girls, which I guess is part of the reason why the prosecution in the case zeroed in on the four young guys that they did. But this could have been a humiliation control kind of rape where they raped one girl for a few seconds, moved on to the next one. It might not have been, oh, five minutes on one. Five. Really, the whole thing could have been quick and it could have just been just humiliating them. Well, I, I to, it's to release DNA, you actually, as a male, don't have to climax, right? Right. Well, and then, 
they might have climaxed, but maybe not every with every girl. That's what I'm trying to say. They could have right raped two or three and then climaxed on the third. Well, and, and not only that, but just like the theory about Liza's boyfriend, uh, you know, after you've had sex and you've climaxed inside the, the vaginal vault, the next guy that comes along is definitely taking some of that onto the next one. Uh, you know what I mean? So it's like once it's in there, you're spreading it around pretty quick if it's if it's a gang rape type, type of thing. That aspect of it lends me to believe that there were more guys there. You know, I don't see two 18-year-olds or two 19-year-olds having that kind of command and control over four teenage girls, even if they were armed. I, at some point, somebody's going to get pissed. One of the girls is going to kick the guy in the nuts or try to kick the guy in the nuts or scratch his face or some, something crazy is going to happen, especially after the first one gets murdered because we know that they didn't shoot all four girls at the same time. So, you know, after the first shot, now all bets are off. Now I'm going crazy. I'm struggling against the bunch. They weren't handcuffed. They weren't tied up with stuff that was, uh, you know, you can't get out of it or whatever. You were tied up with your clothes. Their hands were tied up with their jeans and, and with their whatever. And, yeah, you can tie that stuff pretty tight. But, I mean, if you're a panicked teenage girl that thinks your life is about to end because it is, I don't I just, I, I see that not playing out the way that they... The way that it played out, if there's only two guys present. The other so. horrible thing that could have happened, I'm sorry, is it's possible that they shot them first and then raped their bodies. I don't know if there's any evidence for sure that they were alive when they were raped, but that's possible too. I, w- I want to say that there was something that led them to believe that it wasn't, but I don't remember what it is now and I don't want to misquote. But I believe there was something about there was ejaculate that was found on top of the blood, where if it was the other way around, it would be the blood on top of the ejaculate. Right. Did, did you see anything on fingernails? Did they check fingernails for DNA? I would imagine. Uh, you know, this is 1991. They were doing that like forensic files was already out. Uh, you know what I mean? So that, all that stuff was common play by 91. Uh, so I could definitely, you know, I could definitely see where they where they would have had to, I, but you can't put anything past these law enforcement because these guys made some really horrendous mistakes. So I don't know. I, I you know, I can't defend them. I'm, I'm sitting here. I find myself trying to defend them. And, and well, sure, obviously they did that. I, I don't really know. I, you know, maybe they didn't. Yeah, I don't Maybe. remember reading anything about that, but if they had DNA under their fingernails, that would have, you know, said that they, you know, weren't dead when this took place. And Well, and I would think, I would think that they checked because, like, people were already getting convicted based on DNA and getting exonerated based on DNA in 91. It wasn't as commonplace as it is, at, you know, in the early 2000s, but, it, you know, in, in, it was in the early, it was in the 80s, the late 80s, when DNA started getting introduced into the courtroom and convictions and, and convictions were being made and overturned in the 90s already based on DNA evidence. So I would think they would know all about, uh, you know, different sources for that material. Did Gina already do a gifted inside podcast yes. on this? What, what, yes. what was her thoughts? Basically, Gina was of the impression that it was uh, that somebody it was it was a jilted lover uh, thing that somebody was in love with one of the girls that was in there and got jilted for whatever reason and just decided that it was going to be a revenge killing. If I can't have you, nobody can have you type situations. That tends to be the motive of more of a solitary killer. I guess that's what bothers me here is that I feel like it had to have been at least two guys. And it's hard for me to imagine that if that's the motive, how do you get your friend to go along with it? Yeah. 
That's yeah, that's that was a big thing that we you know that we discussed in in the other episode too. Is you have uh, this? It's it's a it's a whole different kind of pathology because it, it's a group. Uh, you know, it's like husband and wife teams that kidnap and rape. Uh, you know, like what happened to Elizabeth Smart and, and people like that. Th- that's a whole different psychopathology when you have group attacks like that, where it, it, it's hard to get one person out of the population to, uh, you know, justify in their own mind committing heinous acts like that. To get three or four of them to act in concert, I mean, that's just and to keep weird. it a secret this long, right? Right. Unless it was a sibling or something. So, or or unless they're dead, or unless you know who who knows. But it just it I it really this case really you know baffles me and enrages me. It doesn't look like anybody that went over this case. I'm sure they had a profiler. I'm not a real big fan of profiles because ninety percent of the time you could just make a photocopy of one profile and and share it you know amongst you know ad infinitum. Uh, occasionally you get the one like the, in the last case that we did where the guy hit the profile right on the nose that in my experience, that's absolutely the exception and not the rule, but the profile on, on this, if this was a thought out crime, and if we're going to, if we're going to put on these guys and give them the intellectual capacity to have planned this out and to have this be a methodical, uh, uh, attack and, and rape and murder and all this other kind of stuff. Then I mean you're really escalating to there's there's no way these guys stopped. If that's the case, if it wasn't just these girls specifically for whatever reason that were a target, there is no way this band of thieves stopped at one. There's no way you anybody could convince me that somebody that's capable of doing these kind of acts could just one day decide, yeah, you know what, I don't do that anymore. I agree. And I was wondering during this episode, if the police had looked at other robberies in the area, other rapes, that sort of a thing, because even though they may not have gotten a lot of money from this yogurt shop, if they were hitting multiple stores, you know, around Christmas time, I would think that they could, they could steal a fair amount of money if robbery was the motive. I I agree. But again, you can't put anything past. I have not gotten anything. Unfortunately, there is no um, FBI file on this case. So I put in a FOIA request to the FBI. They basically responded back to me and told me we got nothing. So there's no FBI file on this case. It's strictly uh, Texas. So the next step is we have to reach out to the Travis County law enforcement. We have to reach out to the Travis County health department to get the autopsy reports. We have to reach out to the Texas Rangers who also investigated in on it. Um, and uh, I believe, do, do they have a Texas state police other than the Rangers? Our Texas state police, yes. They were probably in on it too. So we're going to have to FOIA request them too uh, to, to try and get what whatever it is that they have because the FBI has nothing. That's a, The FBI is the easiest one. You go to the FBI, they usually respond in four or five days. They give you everything that they got. If it's not classified, you'll get, you're going to get it. Just like we just saw with the Kennedy assassination. I put in a FOIA request for the documents on the Kennedy assassination. We got 852,366 documents back from the FBI. That's crazy. Just hey, under a million documents. We're going to be looking at that shit for 20 years. Hey, quick question on that. I saw one time where they released a bunch of that recently. Yeah. Is a bunch of it blacked out? No, it's whited out. 
They don't they don't use black because if when they had to make photocopies, they didn't want to use all the ink in the toner. So a long time ago they started using whiteout instead of using black so that when they made photocopies on a copy machine, it didn't use up excess toner. Oh, that makes sense. But there's a lot of it that they, they've cleared out. To, yeah, there's, there's, believe it or not, there's a lot of, I, I was just looking at it last night and found in there actual evidence. You're going to laugh because I've never heard of this. And I've studied JFK assassination for years and years and years because it happened before I was even born. So it piqued my curiosity and I've been looking into it for decades. It Apparently in 1978, a CIA agent broke into the safe in one of the investigators' offices and stole copies of JFK's autopsy photographs, including specifically a photograph of his disembodied brain, photographs of his dismantled cranium, his cranial vault on the inside without the brain, and and several other photographs of bullet wounds on his body. Never heard of that before in my life, and it was a CIA agent that did it. And they dusted the prints inside the safe. They got this guy red-handed. They got his prints on the binder. They got his prints on the cellophane sleeve. They got his prints inside the safe. He's fucked. What a dumbass. Why would he do that? Yeah, and he's a CIA agent. But sell, sell the pictures. You know how much money he got for those, probably? What a dumbass. At least worse than This was only 15 years after Kennedy was killed, too. So people, all those conspiracies were still raging. They're, I mean, they're raging now, but they were really raging in 78. Wow. Yeah, I've never even heard of that before. Some bitch, we have the proof. We got the documents. I have his fingerprint card. I have the interviews of the the director of the CIA and and his interview with the two people in the FBI that interviewed him and their report that basically he's full of shit. I I have, we have all of that. When they recommend charges and then the director of the CIA tries to cover for him and say, no, it was an innocent mistake and it was an accident. Shit was hilarious. I can't believe the price of dog food is getting outrageous. And if I want to save a few bucks, I have to carry a 50-pound bag of kibble up the stairs into my apartment. There has to be a better way. There is. I'm so glad you said something. You poor thing, we've been using TummyTimePetSupplies.com for over a year now. Tummy Time Pet Supplies? What's that? TummyTimePetSupplies.com. They have all the major brands and most smaller brands as well. In fact, we not only get all of our dog and cat supplies there, but they also have everything we need for Brett's chinchilla, Ashley's ferrets, Haley's iguana, and even Jordan's pet tarantula. Wow, they sell all that? And more. But what's best about TummyTimePetSupplies.com is that they ship everything through Amazon Fulfillment. That means that everything you order gets delivered right to your door, and if you're an Amazon Prime customer, shipping is almost always free. That really sounds incredible, but I bet it's super expensive. Mark just got laid off and I can't afford all those special conveniences for a while. Nonsense. In fact, Tummy Time offers some of the most reasonable prices anywhere. You really have to be a whiz and coupon shopping to beat their everyday prices, and when they run sales, forget about it. I can't believe it, an incredible selection, great prices, and right to your door service. So what do you think? I think the next time I buy anything for my pets I'm going to TummyTimePetSupplies.com. I think that's a very wise choice. Me too. That's right. For all your pet needs it's TummyTimePetSupplies.com. Remember TummyTimePetSupplies.com.
right, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for us tonight. Thank you for joining in for another fantastic, uncensored episode of the Veritas 7. Just a quick reminder before we sign off. Please, if you like the show, remember to follow it, rate us on whatever platform that you listen to the show on, and subscribe to the show so that you will get notifications and updates as soon as we release new content. For all of us here at the Veritas 7, thank you very much for tuning in. You all have a great night. God bless. We'll talk to you soon. Look out for more uncensored episodes coming your way. Take care now. Bye-bye.